And the Canadians are holding him. Degrasse, can he do it? Yes, he can. Gold to Canada. And after what a difficult season it's been for Degrasse, he tastes gold. Hello and welcome back to the ShakeOut Podcast presented by Canadian Running Magazine. As always, I'm your host, David Stahl, and I'm so, so excited for today's interview with none other than elite runner, Andrew Alexander. For those who might not yet be familiar with Andrew's racing career, trust me, you soon will be. Andrew is a Canadian distance runner and a former member of the Notre Dame track and field team, where he ran alongside Yared Nagus, aka the man who currently holds the record for the American Mile. Since graduating, Andrew has only continued to progress as an elite, challenging the best runners in North America while balancing the same everyday responsibilities as us non-professionals. Last year, Andrew not only finished, but won his first ever half marathon at the Toronto Waterfront Marathon in a time of 102.44. And if you listen through our episode, you'll learn that he probably could have run even faster. But that's what we in the business call a little bit of a teaser. At the time of our interview, Andrew currently runs under Canadian Olympian and coach Matt Hughes, but just recently took perhaps the biggest leap of his running career to train in the running capital of America. To be candid, I'm also super biased. I've gotten to know Andrew this year, and I can confidently say he's one of the kindest and humblest runners I've ever come across. But despite his attitude, mindset, proven abilities on both the track and road, Andrew continues to search for a professional sponsorship to help support his training. Throughout our interview, we chat about the struggle for Canadian athletes to market themselves, whether it's necessary for elites to leave the country to find commercial success, whether his half marathon performance maybe lured him into focusing on the marathon, his lofty goals for 2024, and of course, how he's adjusting to this massive move down south. As always, if you enjoy the interview, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a ton. You can also follow us at ShakeOut Podcast on all social platforms to catch clips and updates from the pod. But for now, please enjoy my chat with Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to catch up with me personally and also the listeners for the Shake Out podcast. Now, I have been looking at your Strava in my research and noticed that you have no longer been doing your regular routes this week around High Park. So I'm curious where you're talking to us from right now. Where have you been training recently to kick us off? Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, David, thanks so much for having me on the, the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, the last week and a half, I've I've taken my my talent away from High Park and have uh, been in Flagstaff for the past like week and a half, and it's definitely been a uh, different change for sure. A little bit of change of scenery, not so many cars, not so many bikers to try to avoid, but it's been good. It's air's been a little bit thinner. I've been feeling like I've uh, almost lost lost sense of what it means to be a runner, but I'm slowly getting my my reins here and. Uh, figuring out how to handle this higher altitude stuff. And had you done much altitude work 
previously? I mean, I'm sure you'd done traveling for NCAAs and had done meets in the past, but in terms of like a nice long training chunk, is training at altitude sort of a new experience for you? Yeah, for sure. Actually, this is like the first time ever I've been at high elevation. I don't even know what the highest elevation I would have been at been in the past, like how high, but yeah, this is definitely a, a shock to the system. 7,000 feet no joke. And even going down to like, we do work at like 3,500 feet. It's still a little bit of a shock to the system, a little bit easier, but yes, yeah, first time doing this. And uh, right now just taking things a little bit easier, trying to adjust to everything that's going on. And it's so neat to see too, because this was something that you had been kind of plotting in the back of your mind months ago. I had the chance to sort of chat with you in person with the idea of, you know, it'd be neat to be able to be training at that level, both from an altitude standpoint and from a who you're training with standpoint. Was this sort of a long time coming, this trip down to Flagstaff? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, everyone who's pursuing professional running or kind of higher level running um or even just anyone in general who wants to kind of take their running to the next level i find flagstaff's always like a pretty big hot spot for distance runners and uh yeah it's been something that i've wanted to do for the past at least year it's always been in the back of the mind like oh like what if i tried out this training see how it goes and so yeah it just worked out where just after Christmas, I, I headed down here and down here with a great group training with an Under Armour group. And yeah, it's been going going good so far. So hopefully I'm here for another four or five weeks and then hopefully I can show off my fitness somewhere. And do you have anything immediately planned for 2024? Do you have anything sort of circled on the calendar that you're looking to use this build towards? Yeah, so I'm going straight from here to Boston. I feel like that's just the typical answer you hear from uh, <laughs> anyone who's doing indoor racing, especially for track and field. Um, but yeah, I'm going to Boston on February 10th. Uh, I'll be racing a 5K there. So hopefully um can come off uh, the high altitude here and feel pretty good and get ready to be in pain and suffer for a good 5K or 13 minutes in a little bit. So. And I don't know how incognito the training is, but are you able to say who you've been training with, whether you'll be traveling with any of those current training partners down to Boston alongside yourself? Yeah, yeah. It's not anything too secret. So I'm training uh, my, my coach, Matt Hughes, his old agent, Stephen Haas, has a group out here. It's uh, Under Armour Dark Sky that I've been kind of taken under their wing by them and yeah, just training, training with those guys and still haven't figured out the the travel plans to Boston yet. And hopefully I can figure that out soon just because it's obviously coming up. But yeah, hopefully get some good sessions in with them. And then if, if they're going there around the same time, hopefully try to mix it up with them and get into some accommodation with them. And if not, just, you know, make my way down there. Maybe I'm, I'm sure there's tons of other Canadians that are going to be down there. So maybe reaching out to some of them. That Boston track just tends to attract people of all, of all, any runners of all types too. Nice, bouncy, speedy track, especially coming from elevation. It'll be a, uh, it'll be a good showcase for you. And you mentioned Matt Hughes there. I know a lot of listeners will be familiar with him as an athlete, but I know he was really a godsend for you and a lot of other post-collegiate athletes in Toronto. Would you mind maybe explain to the listeners how you got in contact with Matt as a coach and sort of how you two started working together yeah for sure it was uh it's kind of funny how it worked out so i first met matt through my chiropractor at the runners academy 
Chris Shepard and the team there working with Matt on like strength stuff and also to um, just like a bunch of recovery, just treatment and all that stuff. And I met him briefly, I think the spring of my last year at Notre Dame and uh, kind of got in contact with him, but then it wasn't too anything too crazy. And then when I was leaving Notre Dame, I was selected for uh, to represent the Canadian team at the NACAC, I guess, 2022 uh, games. And uh, I kind of posted on my story and he kind of reached out to me and he's like, oh, do you have any uh, specific training plan for this? And I was just going to go off my training, like the training that I've been doing throughout college. And I was like, you know what, might as well try something new. And he's like, he, he, he opened to experimenting. And I said, yeah. And so it kind of just started off like that. And then um, just like the training, just liked how it challenged me, liked how it was different. I, I think I needed a change up coming out of uh, university and been working together ever since Matt, Dave Reed's in there. And then, yeah, we have a good group out out of Toronto. So it's been fun. So what was the biggest technical difference? Because, and I mentioned in the introduction as well, that you, of course, ran at Notre Dame and, and had a really decorated collegiate career. So coming off of Notre Dame and their system, what were some of the biggest technical changes that Matt instituted? Yeah, yeah. I found at Notre Dame, it was very much strength-based. Our go-to quote while we were there was strength is speed. And I definitely do agree with that. You definitely do need to have a good aerobic base. You know, when it comes to later in a race, you need to be competing within the last few laps to actually kick, right? Like if you have the speed, but you're not within the there within the last few laps, obviously it doesn't mean anything. So yeah, I found it was very aerobic based. And the thing that I found with mass training is that there's definitely kind of like that implementation there. But a new thing was kind of having a little bit more of that speed and being challenged with like shorter distances. Like my first year work, working with him last year, come indoor, we would do like an almost all out, like 400, 800 K to start the workout. And then you'd go into stuff and, you know, it's just nothing my body was kind of used to. And mm. uh, I found that was great. I find whatever distance you're running, running those faster paces that you're, you're not used to just helps make those, those race paces feel a little bit easier. So that's been the biggest change. And then to implementing, I find everyone's doing like the double threshold training. And so putting myself through a lot of double threshold this past year, just kind of building that aerobic engine has been a fun change. And are you sort of at, cause I, I laugh cause we use that term in the magazine constantly. Everyone is going to the church of the double threshold now and paying dividends. Did you find that you and your body were sort of attuned to those double days pretty naturally? No, not at all. Not even close. <laughs> um, yeah. When I first started doing them, it felt like I, I got hit by a car. Like I'd wake up the next day and like, oh my gosh, my body would be in so much pain. I'd be so like tight and everything. And it, it just wasn't the 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 easiest thing to deal with and so i think a year ago in the spring i started doing double threshold days where i do like a a 10 mile workout in the morning and then a 10 mile workout in the afternoon and i'd do that on tuesday and then thursday and then we'd have another workout saturday so it really kind of put my body through the blender but now i find that like when i do days like that it it honestly just feels like it doesn't really affect me too much my body's kind of adapted to it so it's been good and how has it shifted? Has it been a pretty smooth transition from Matt's training? Obviously, there was a connection between him and his agent and the Under Armour guys from a professional standpoint. Has the coaching 
approach translated pretty smoothly to Flagstaff now? Yeah, I'd say so. Like, I think a big misconception that people think is that like a lot of your training has to be personalized and it has to be like, you know, like you have to do this on this day and this on this day. And it has to be really kind of like set out for you. But I mean, a big thing here is just kind of adapting to like what people are doing. And I always like saying like, you know, like at the end of the day, you're getting the work in whatever it may be, as long as you're putting in the work and running hard, you're going to get better. Right. So it's, uh, it's been pretty seamless. Like I feel like everyone does relatively the same thing just in different ways. Like, for example, like they'll do like people will do like six times mile versus 10 by K at the end of the day, it's you're, you're working the same system. You're mm. going the same paces. It's not too much different. Now, I want to take a little bit of a trip back in time because I know we have a lot of young listeners who sort of look at your resume and running trajectory and think, oh, I want to follow that. But the notion of, okay, go from high school to being recruited by Notre Dame and now you're in Flagstaff, it just feels like this impossible trajectory from the outside. So I'm curious if we could look back on those high school days and if you could recount those first moments where you started to realize, oh, I'm maybe a little bit above the average class in this sport. Maybe I have a bit of a future here. Yeah, it's funny because going into high school, I I ended up tearing my my MCL playing school soccer that summer going to high school. And I, I remember thinking at the end of uh, elementary school, I won cities and I was like, this is it. I've, I've reached the pinnacle of running. I have nothing left in this sport. I tore my MCL. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm I'm done with this. And then I ended up doing a, uh, a transitional program at my school. And uh, just as so happened, they're, they're doing kind of cross country training already. And I remember people saying like, Oh, Andrew, there's this one guy who's like so fast, like he's faster than you. And I remember being just the competitive nature of myself. I was like, there's no way he's faster than me. Like I'm, 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 I'm getting back into this. And so I remember I kind of uh, started out and I was running with like a, a full on brace on my knee. Um, and then that kind of transitioned into me taking running a little bit more serious. Um, grade nine and 10, I, once again, the competitive nature, you'd want to win off. So off is obviously the biggest thing, like winning off. So everyone says is like winning the Olympics. Right. So I found that like, that was always the number one goal and, uh, grade nine and 10, it, it didn't happen. And grade nine, we won as a team, which was awesome. Um, and uh, I, I slowly wanted to like make my way and uh, eventually win off to one year. And uh, yeah, I, I'd say in, in, in grade 10 or 11, it all started coming together. Uh, unfortunately, in the summer, I think going into grade 11, my dad was battling brain cancer and uh, it was a tough time just with my family. And I remember thinking like, obviously it's a tough thing to deal with, right? Like losing a family member to that, never, never easy. And, uh, I remember during that time running was like my only solace that I found that could keep out like the, the negative thoughts or like, you know, think overthinking and all that stuff. And so I really kind of started using running as kind of more of a, an emotional sink just to kind of get these negative emotions out and, uh, use it as something, you know, to make something negative to pause something positive. Right. Yeah. I kind of just started running a little bit more then started taking running a little bit more seriously. And then the summer before my last year, I remember I did 
the athletics Ontario's provincial outdoor track meet and going into it. I remember I had like a, a super bad phone at the time. It was like super cracked and everything. It was like an iPhone four and they're on like the iPhone eight at this point. And I remember I wanted a new phone so bad. And my mom said, she said, Andrew, if you win all three events uh, here at like the AOs, I'll get you a new phone. And so me, I was like all set out. I was like, all right, bet. Like I'm going to get this new phone. <laughs> She said the so, bar is so high, all three too. Yeah, no, she always she's she's always great like that. Uh, she she always sets the bar high, and I think that's good, right? I I I feel like sometimes you need sometimes unrealistic goals, and you know if you aim high, land a little bit lower, you're still doing pretty well. So, I think the first race in the fifteen hundred, or I think it was the three k with like a lap to go, I just kicked from like the four hundred. I remember my coach is thinking like, what is he doing? Like he's going all out right now, but I was like, so set on it. So we won that. And then the 1500, the next day, it was like the hottest thing like ever. And I remember same thing, like 400 go. I was like, Hey, it worked yesterday. I'll do it again today. <laughs> and then we did that. And then we had like a medley that we won as well. And so that kind of like kickstarted my kind of like self-belief into thinking that summer I was like, okay, I think I have like a pretty good shot at like winning off. And so mm. I kind of just set my mind to it and, it's funny because like looking back now, I was so like ignorant and very naive. And I was like, you know, I'm going to win, but there's obviously so many good guys that I was competing against. But in my mind, it was just like absolute, like I was going to win it. And uh, I was going to win it for like the people in my life or like my dad who helped me throughout my whole life and my mom mm -hmm. and all my family members. And I, uh, I remember we had the pre-offs uh, race and I, I ended up coming seventh and still I was kind of like, unwavered by it i was like okay whatever i'll i'll still win off and yeah i uh ended up winning off and it really led to a lot of opportunities I had coaches reaching out through like emails through letters i remember my high school coach would like stop class and like knock on the door and make a big deal about it with like letters coming in like personally handing it to me but the funny thing about Notre Dame is that they're they were actually the one school that didn't reach out to me and at the time I had no idea you could actually like reach out to coaches. I, I thought if they're interested in you, they'd come to you. And if they didn't, then they, <laughs> that was it. Right. And so my high school coach was a big Notre Dame fan. He reached out and then I took a visit and uh, I was super excited with the, the, the program, the coaching and kind of the future perspective that they had and the mindset they had. And yeah, the rest is history. I think there's a huge little bow that you tied on the end there for a lot of young runners is sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease too and you have to reach out and make your opportunities happen particularly in a sport like running that is a lot of times built on that ability to advocate for yourself and to put the work in yourself but i mean you touched on it to have running get you through such a visceral time in your life too it changes the relationship where it's not just about the competitiveness and it's not just about what it can offer you in terms of, Oh, this can be my living or this can send me to school for free. It's like running saved my life. And now, you know, it's been years since you initially got into the sport. Do you still sort of carry that care for it? Oh yeah, for sure. Like when I was first out of university and I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, I was thinking about like, running it's been a big part of my life and uh a lot of people when they finish university they stop running and I thought to myself like you know do I want to stop here and 
it at the end of the day, it just came down to the fact that I couldn't imagine my life without running. Like, even if it wasn't the competitive nature in myself that I enjoy and like the competitive nature of the sport that I enjoy, it's something that helps keep my mind clear. It helps me stay level-headed. It helps me, you know, if I'm going through a, a, if I had a tough day, I'm going out the door and I have no headphones or anything. I'm just processing it. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big component and, uh, yeah, it's always been something I've, I've cherished. And yeah, if, if, even if, uh, I, I even think about it now, like when I get old and the competitive nature is not there, I think I'll still kind of lace up the shoes and go out for a run just because it, you know, it helps so much. And what was the, you mentioned when that college career ends, it can be sort of like that blank open space for a lot of people, not just student athletes, you're sort of out in the world and okay, it's sort of that blank slate. What do I do from here? Was it an adjustment period to come back to Toronto and realize, okay, I got to sort of go out and figure out what that next step is, whether that's training with Matt, but you don't have that structure of a university program anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a little bit, uh, difficult, to, uh, kind of adjusting to it. Um, obviously just not being surrounded by the amazing facilities, the different, uh, things that you, you kind of take for granted while you're there, whether it be like a free cliff bar in the locker room or like having like massages paid for, which are obviously a, a huge help or even something as simple as, you know, running shoes. Like that wasn't anything that was ever like something that I'd think about. And now it's just like, okay, well now I got to kind of like figure out how to get my own running shoes and mm. finance myself in that sense. And so that was a little bit stressful, but also too, I think it was, it was good for me coming back home. I was away for five years and mm. big part of my life is my family. And, uh, I, I, I definitely missed, missed them and being around them and surrounded by them. And even if I'm not with them, just having that option of going to see them, right. I, I think is a, a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was a little bit tough, but also too, I think it was also good for me. I found that, uh, not being in that environment is a little bit less structured. And so let's say if I had like a, a busy day, I can go run at like 11 PM and get my work in and they'll be fine. Or, you know, it's, it gives you a little bit more of that flexibility and a little bit more of that breathing room, which I've, I found to be helpful and nice. Now you touched on, you know, leaving a college program, you get a little bit more freedom to some degree of how you're going to train, when you're going to train, that can be good from just a life run balance standpoint, but I think also beneficial maybe to certain runners who aren't meant to just conform into that system. I know the world has seen that with your former roommate, Yared, who's, you know, training with OAC now and is sort of was fantastic at Notre Dame. And then it's just blown up since. Did you see that when you were training together or has that skyrocket been blowing your mind as much as it's been blowing ours? Uh, yeah, I don't think it it's really, uh, kind of blown my mind and I don't think it's blown any people who are part of our program's mind. So mm. if you're around Jared, if you trained with him, you just know he's, he's, he's different. And, uh, yes, like, I think just like, it could be like genetically, like physically, he might be a little bit more fit, but I think Yara's biggest strength. And I think everyone thinks his biggest strength is just his mental game. Mm. Um, his ability to have his mind set on something and be, uh, you know, 
unwavering is is something to be uh is, is something really admirable and something i look up to and you know it's it's easy to have a mindset going into race like oh i want to stick with these people and like i want to do this and i want to make a move here and here but once you get into a race and you're surrounded by those different factors and when you're hurting it's hard to commit to that but um yeah i think even this summer watching yard run like 343 or whatever it was like you could tell that like that 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 press conference between him and Jakob, like i think like if you know yard you know that definitely made his blood boil and you know he was going to show up the next day and so yeah it's it hasn't really been too much of a shock to me like obviously it's crazy what he's doing but then again like everyone just says oh well it's you know it's yard like he's just he's just different like that it's just it's such a particular mindset too and then even the way that he addresses media with such calmness too there's almost a terrifying element of just how even keeled he is how mature yeah. and down to earth he is like that's almost an extra terrifying factor yeah i remember i think it was my freshman year my sophomore year my first or second year in university and i remember us sitting uh beside him we were either going to a meet or coming back and he had this journal that he would write down i think his like yearly accomplishments or his yearly thoughts and like what he went through and i remember just talking to him and i remember thinking i was i was talking to him about it and he uh he just casually mentioned he was like yeah like and i'm just gonna win this race and it's not like a cockiness to it to him he's just like he's just set his mind to it and he's just like there's no other like alternative in his mind and so yeah he he's definitely pretty awesome when it comes to his mentality and then I think also too uh, a big thing like for him is I wouldn't say it's like ignorance but it's almost like he doesn't know who he's going up against I think he probably knows a little bit more now but um in university when he towed the line and won our first DMR he outkicked Grant Fisher and he had no idea who he was like you ask him who he was he had no idea you ask him who Mo Farah was he has no idea you ask him who Matt Centrowitz was he has no idea and so I think that really kind of plays into his strengths where he just goes into the race and he has no idea who these guys are. He has no idea what their PBs <laughs> are, their accomplishments, whatever. He just goes out there and he's like, yeah, I'm going to win this. And, you know, I think that's something I even try to implement in my training where I try to, it's, I call it kind of intentional incompetence where I, <laughs> I try, I go to my way to like, you know, try not to like know things about people or, you know, just not think too highly of people just because in the day, right? Like, everyone's human everyone can have an off day and uh it's something cool that that yard has that i try to implement uh myself i love that and it was something i was gonna inquire about as well obviously it sounds like he has that sort of mantra constant mindset that just naturally comes to him and i love the notion of intentional incompetence and I'm curious because every time I'd either seen you race or even been around you interacting, I think such a defining trait that people would describe you as is just like this unfettered joy that you seem to run with, that you seem to sort of operate the world with. Is there a mantra that is sort of guiding your running right now, whether that is, you know, intentional incompetence, whether that is appreciating when, where you are in Flagstaff, the people you're with, what's sort of like the guiding force for you right now? Yeah. You know, you're making me blush over here. I appreciate the compliment (laughs) there. Um, yeah, I'd say the big thing for me now, um, 
is to not worry about like the the little factors that you know we we runners always overthink about whether it be sleep whether it be i mean nutrition is a big thing i, I definitely um don't don't kind of like pass up there but like different things that like you know like let's say you you go out and uh you're on your feet the whole day and tomorrow you're like oh i don't know if i can do this it's it's not really like overthinking i don't try to like overthink the little things uh just kind of go out and I just, uh, try to enjoy running for what it is. I find that there's been times where I've been obsessed with like the little things, like my, like, I feel like a big thing around like running is being like, I feel like weights, like a big thing. And I, I haven't been too like uptight about it, uh, too many times, but there has been times where I've been, been like, Oh, I need to be like this ideal waist rate. And obviously the two that just leads to like bad things. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I try not to focus on the little things. I try to enjoy running for what it is. I, mm. I think to myself, you know, then day if I don't accomplish my goals and I don't uh, achieve what I want to achieve, at least I enjoyed what I was doing and enjoyed every day. Um, going through the process and, you know, going out for a run. And, uh, yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is, yeah, just taking it day by day and not getting too high, not getting too low. If I have a bad workout, it's just like, okay, well, like at least I got the work in. It's not like, oh damn, that was awful. Right. Or if I have a really good workout, it's like, okay, like it's one day. It's not going to like, it's not a defining thing. And at the end of the day, like the big moments are, are when you perform in races. Right. And mm. that's all that really matters. And so I think a big thing that I've been really focusing on is just balance. Um, it's easy, easier said than done. Um, but I know in the past I've, I've let running kind of take the reins and control over my life. And, mm. uh, now it's kind of, I'm kind of trying to take a little bit of ownership back where it's like, okay, like let's not stress about not getting eight hours of sleep tonight or like, let's not stress about like these little things. And, uh, yeah, it's been, I think super healthy, a good, good approach to it. And I've, uh, I've been running well, so hopefully, I think it's doing something good. So hopefully I can keep it up. It's definitely doing something good. I want to touch on one of those performances, particularly towards the end of the year last year, but I also want to dive into something you just touched on there as well, which is sort of, you know, the notion of zooming back a little bit. I think people get caught up in, you know, the idea of, Oh, focus on the little things. It's such a mantra in running in particular there's infinite little things to focus on. You can dive down the nutrition rabbit hole, the recovery rabbit hole, and all are important boxes to check for sure, but it can be sort of this infinite black hole that you get trapped in and you forget that, you know, that mindset of just tick the box, put the work in and continue to stack the chips, like you'll move forward. I'm curious, when did that emphasis on, okay, I, I got to find balance in my life hit like you said running felt like it was taking the reins at some points which i think a lot of elite runners feel when did it feel like that was maybe at its height yeah there's definitely a few times i'd say uh my last few years at Notre Dame, like i had a high goals that i wanted to achieve and i wanted to do a lot of great things and so as a result i was like okay i need to do all these little things i need to be hitting these paces i need to be running with these people i need to be doing all these things and um yeah, it, uh, there'd be races where I'd be so invested into it. I've been all into running and then I go run a race and it'd be the, one of the worst races I've ever run. And I 
kind of like go to the hotel room afterwards and I just kind of like sit by myself and I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, what Mm. is the point of this? And obviously that's just like a brief moment. And then you kind of snap out of it and you obviously remember the reasons why you do it. But um, yeah, I'd say the most recent time was probably like a year ago in December where I was all set on this, this Boston meet. And uh, I, I had COVID going into it. So I, I still had high expectations for myself. And I remember after that meet, it was in December. I, I was like, is this even worth doing anymore? Like I invested all this time, energy, I'm working all this time. I'm like squeezing in these runs and I'm like really just kind of like working myself to like the limit here. And I was like, is this really for me? And so I, my next training cycle, just after that, I just showed up and I was like, okay, like I can run whatever. I don't care. Like I just went into mentality of, all right, this workout goes good. This workout goes, goes bad. I don't care. I'm just going to live my life. And it's funny because I taking that mentality, going to that season, I ended up PBing in every distance from 1500 up till 10 K. And it's funny because I was at that point, I was just like, I was just like, F running. Like I, I don't care about it. I'm going to do my own thing. And it's funny just kind of like taking that step back where it's just like, okay, you know, if a workout doesn't go well, my day does like, is not affected by it. Right. Like when running is your whole life, if a workout goes awful, your day is awful. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think just having a good balance like that, um, really helped me to perform, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I'd say the last time it happened was last December and, uh, yeah, I find the times that I've raced the best sometimes is where I've just been like, man, I could come last in this race. Yeah. I could like run, I don't know, 31 minutes in, for 10K. Like I, I'll, I'm i just going to go out there and have fun. And I find just reshifting my focus to that, I think just kind of takes that pressure off of myself and just mm. lets myself enjoy the present moment and be the best version of myself in the race. Yeah, there's that power to running free, right? And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but seeing you race the Toronto waterfront half, your first half, I and I think a lot of people on the sidelines would look at you and go, that's that's a guy who's running free right now. That's a guy who's <laughs> out there to put together a great race. And maybe you did put pressure on yourself, but I think being around you at that time, it didn't, you weren't emanating these, this stress or these mounting expectations. Spoiler alert, you went out and finished in 102.44, won your first half. I'm curious, what was the mindset going into Toronto this year? And did you kind of, did it roll out as you expected it to? So yeah, going into Toronto, it wasn't really kind of something that was circled on my calendar. It wasn't any big race. It was just kind of like a fitness check that me and my coach kind of agreed that would be good for me. And so, yeah, I, I don't think there was any pressure to it, not even in like a, a, a cocky way, but I remember talking to uh, Ben Richardson, one of my training partners earlier in the week, and he makes fun of me for it. Cause I, I, I went into the half marathon thinking it was the harder effort of the week where it was like, okay, this is going to be just, just think of it as like another workout and just go in there and do your best. And if you can hang on with them, you can hang on. If you don't, you don't just go out there and really focus on giving your all at the, in the present moment and similar type thing going kind of like the back indoor season that I just touched on, like similar type thing. I, 
approach races and I was like, okay, this is just a harder workout. Let's not make it anything bigger than it actually is. I've done this all before I put in the work and let's not stress about it. And so, yeah, I got to the line and I think, uh, I, I, I know we were emailed beforehand by like the, the meet directors that we weren't able to pass like the top marathon guys before 20 K. And so I was like, okay, well, like that kind of takes the pressure on me. I don't have to really lead anything. I just can go out there and really soak up the atmosphere. And yeah, it was, it was a super fun time. I, yeah, I just went out there. I was enjoying the crowd. I was enjoying the running on like the gardener without any traffic, just running by the water and just soaking it up. And I really think that just kind of helped me perform where, yeah, I just felt like it felt very seamless. It felt very natural. Like it just felt like I was going out for a little long run with, with the fellas. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a good experience. It was funny though. In during the the half marathon, there's two points where I was like, wow, I feel like super, super good. And I remember like about a minute after I thought about that both times, I just started kind of uh, almost like dry heaving both times. So it was kind of my body kind of keeping me in check and being like, okay, you're still hurting here. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, it, it just felt super good to kind of take off any expectations because I've never run a half marathon before. I don't know what to expect. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the race. It was honestly one of the highlights of last year and going into it, I, I didn't think much of it. And uh, yeah, it turned it out, turned out to be pretty well. So I was, I was happy with it. And it's not one that again, you even, you touched on it for a second there too, even had the opportunity to perhaps put in a hundred percent effort, even if you weren't just treating it like, a hard workout for the week because you know like you mentioned they had emailed and said okay the full marathon is our commercial event that's what we prioritize and so you know we're gonna have a pace car for the full marathoners you got to stick with them until the cutoff point so you really didn't have much time to kick after you'd split off from them i mean i'm sure you maybe don't like to do this but it's my job to play in hypotheticals i'm curious <laughs> if you have like little seed in the back of your mind going oh man if i could have led the race like i wanted to maybe i have this time in me yeah it's it's always fun to play with those hypotheticals right like i feel like us as runners like always always do that right like oh that fit race felt good like what if i did this what if i did that what if i did that right and uh yeah i've thought about it but i think at the end of the day in the environment that i was in i think if I were to kind of take the, the race by the reins, uh, itself and kind of to kind of like push myself. And if we didn't have to stay behind the the lead marathon guys, I don't know if it would, would be too much different. I know, I don't, I can't remember who it was, but there's, they always talk about a, a sprinter who mm. is, or like Carl Lewis, he's, he's always aiming to go 85%, right. Mm. And that 85% is like working hard, but not like tensing up and, uh, like, I think that's like a big thing that I try to implement in my training where it's like, okay, I want to aim for like that 85% where I'm working hard and pushing myself, but I'm not straining. And I think if I did kind of like make a move and was working with people up front there, I think it would have probably made my life a little bit more difficult. But um, yeah, I think in like a another race, like Houston, for example, or like a race where people are going for like a half marathon time and really pushing, I think I could have... Uh, run a little bit quicker given the shape that I was in. But so obviously once again, you play these hypotheticals at the end of the day, I ran 62, 44 and uh, <laughs> that's that. So happy with the time, happy with the effort. And uh, yeah, it was fun. 
you're a better man than me. I would have been like, oh, Canadian record easily. Are you kidding me? I was begging to go fast. They wouldn't let me. I, I, now you're focused on the track to start this season, but did the race sort of intrigue you at all? Were you like, okay, my body is pretty attuned to high volume training, also potentially high volume races. Did it plant a little seed? Like, oh, okay, maybe... Maybe Andrew will have a bit of a marathoner career down the line after after the spikes are hung up. Yeah, I think unfortunately he did plant a uh, a little seed in my mind. Um, I've I've been told by my coaches like they think the marathon is the the distance that I'll end up kind of like being at, and like that'll be my my go to, which is heartbreaking to hear because <laughs> it's so far and so much. Obviously, everyone knows the marathon can be so grueling, right? Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, going into this year i think if i did that half marathon maybe like last year for example at the same time maybe i think about you know going up to the marathon this year and giving it a little go but i think right now i think just for my overall development and uh where i'm at i think sticking for the track is is good 5k 10k work on the wheels a little bit and uh yeah i think Right now, that's five k, ten k, still the focus. But yeah, there's definitely a little seed in the back of the the mind that yeah. that's unfortunately telling me to like <laughs> think about it. Which uh... I hope that immediate, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I think this is going to be my fate down the line. But yeah, it's it's a older athlete's endeavor to some degree. So you got a little bit more time until you're just taking down Morton's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But that's there okay. we go. Now, breakfast, lunch, and dinner of champions right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We touched on a little bit earlier sort of the inevitability or borderline necessity for a lot of these elite athletes in Canada to take their career to the next level. We've seen it with countless guys, Rory, Ben Flanagan, Cam, all these different guys that have sort of taken their talents to train south of the border. I'm curious, for young Canadians maybe finishing up college or outside of college training. When you look at the landscape to market yourself as an athlete, is it sort of an unfortunate inevitability of, okay, you got to take the leap and make the move in order to potentially secure a, a attention from a brand? Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely obviously helps just being surrounded. Um, in an environment in the U S where I think there's, like I said before, a, a little bit more opportunity. There's it's a lot more interconnected. Um, that being said, I do think Canada is, is growing when it comes to track and field, cross country, road racing, all, all, all those, uh, different disciplines there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been cool to see, but yeah, I know for people like my coach for like Matt, for example, he he ended up going down to Bowerman and he was in a different situation than me where he won NCAAs coming out of university and for the first year he didn't even have a contract. He was kind of like looking around for that. And uh I believe the person who came second got like a he was from the US and he got a deal right away. And it's just like that on paper doesn't make any sense, right? But Canada is a smaller market. There's 10 times less people right and so it's it's kind of like the price you have to pay to to i guess secure sponsorship not necessarily yeah. like to secure but uh in some some instances it does obviously help 
to chase it totally and and it is i'm sure like a lot of things before a leap it's a constant cost benefit analysis a little bit too right we're <laughs> i'll speak for for our end i'm not telling every post-collegiate runner oh yeah pack up your things say goodbye to your family and move down to boulder solo because that's the way that you're going to make money running now you gotta you know take a careful approach and see if it's the right fit for you. But I think at a certain point when you're looking at lofty dreams of, okay, I want to do this for a living at a certain point, it, it takes a leap. And I know a lot of people around were, were so happy that you did that too. And look, I know you're, you're a nice guy and you can logically look and say, well, there's so many more people in the States, but you're also, you're a competitor at a very high degree I'm sure it must have been frustrating looking around and going, look, I, I beat these guys in a meet three times last year. I've got on the starting line with this guy. I won't say any names, but I'm sure both of us can think of U.S. athletes in our heads who had full sponsorships that you had beaten at meets. Was that a frustration at any point when, you know, you're balancing work and training, you're going out at 11 to do runs and, thinking come on the performances are are there yeah i mean it, at the end of the day obviously there there there's going to be a little bit of frustration but i think when it comes to comparing yourself to people in the sport like it's easy to compare um yourself to different people but i think at the end of the day you know different people are in different situations they have i mean life is all about connections right like mm -hmm. I was thinking about the other day, like you, you hear someone playing at like the bar and you're like, wow, this person's amazing at singing. Like they're, they're, they're like singing, playing, whatever. And you're like, Oh, what's like, what's the difference between this? And like, I don't know, like someone who's like famous right now. Right. And I think a lot of it is just opportunity and putting yourself into places where those opportunities present themselves. And so, yeah, I do think it, it, it is frustrating, but I also think too, it d does come down to kind of, uh, putting yourselves in into positions where you have that opportunity and those opportunities present themselves. And so that's why I'm kind of down here in the U S trying to give myself a little bit more opportunities to maybe present themselves, but then also to obviously to, to train at higher altitude and get that, that fitness benefit from that. And yeah, that's a very runner's mentality too, right? Of look, I, I'm going to control what I can control and the rest is just going to figure itself out. And yeah, there's nothing more you can do aside from just, just put in the work and let the results fall where they may. Now, as we kind of look into 2024, you touched on, you know, you got a track race up and around the corner. I'm curious what events might you be most excited for are there things that you have circled on the calendar maybe it's races maybe it's the opportunity to race with and against certain runners that you'd seen before i mean any meet that you can get into that has depth that's going to go fast is always fun to get into like the one in boston like boston people go people don't go go to boston for a competitive race and just sit and kick on people right like they're going all out they're gonna they're gonna make sure they hurt right and they're gonna make sure you hurt and so yeah, I'm looking forward to Boston. Um, I did the sound run, uh, running meet. It was a 10 K last year in California in March, um, that I'm also looking forward to. Yeah. I'm, I'd say most excited for, I guess, doing a little bit more five Ks and 10 Ks as long. I know 10 Ks can be a little bit, uh, boring, just 25 laps around kind of, uh, a little oval there. I know even if myself, I sometimes in the middle of the race get a little bored, but, um, 
it's always fun just kind of like pushing yourself to those limits and staying present and seeing what you can do in the given moment. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting the most out of myself. Cause at the end of the day, if uh, you know, if I, once again, if I don't achieve my goals, as long as I got the most out of myself and uh, I tried my hardest, I can't be too, too disappointed in that. And where can, regardless of where, people are listening from whether it's listeners whether it's brands whether it's fellow athletes where can they follow the running journey definitely follow me i find my strava is probably the most popping that's that's what you can see mostly what i'm doing i find i, I probably post there the most i have a search up andrew alexander i have a fun little profile picture that i've had since like 2017 there's like a snapchat filter of like purple pineapples in my my head in it and i think it's funny um, and then, yeah, on Instagram, Andrew Alexander, there's, uh, I think there's two A's after the X. There is. Um, yeah. So you can follow me there. I post every once in a while, some stories about just my training, what I'm doing, and then also to a few posts as well. So. Fantastic. Now this is a PSA to all brands out there Buy the <laughs> stock. He's in Flagstaff. He's training with the fellas jump on that stock now because it's only going to go up andrew thank you so much for taking the time my man i know you had a packed day packed schedule and so we we appreciate the time means a lot my man yeah thank you so much for having me david it's been fun uh talking about my journey and uh yeah i appreciate what you do for uh canadian running and help growing the sport in canada so thank you cheers we can't wait to see what happens next my man awesome Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning into my conversation with Andrew Alexander. To keep up with his training, you can follow him under his name on Strava or on Instagram under at Andrew Alex A-A-N-D-E-R. That's Andrew Alexander with an extra A thrown in there for good luck at Andrew A-L-E-X-A-A-N-D-E-R on Instagram. I cannot wait to see what he'll be doing in six months. We're calling it now. Buy your Andrew Alexander stock before it goes global. 2024 is going to be huge. Lastly, again, please don't forget to subscribe to the pod wherever you listen and follow us at Shakeout Podcast on social media for clips and updates from the podcast. It helps us out a ton. In the meantime, happy running, and we'll see you next time. It's their northerly neighbours, and somehow, after an awful year of injury, to.